Welcome to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke, and today's guest is Ray Catania. He is a metaphysical teacher, life coach, and author of several books, including The Atheist and The Afterlife. He's also a near-death experience survivor, and as a practitioner of scientific spiritualism, his work involves coaching others how to achieve higher levels of conscious awareness. Today, we'll discuss how his near-death experience reshaped his view of spirituality. Ray, welcome to the show. Johnny, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you today. Excellent. Now, you've studied with many different types of teachers, energy healers, mediums, even shamans. Was this prior to the near-death experience or did that happen afterwards? Oh, no, that that's all after when that was part of my quest to seek the, the truth of what had transpired. My near-death was very early in my youth. It was 20 years old. I consider that still a kid. But it took many years to really come to terms with what I saw, you know, because at the age of 20, I didn't want to accept the reality of what it was. So I just kind of boxed it up and left it there and didn't deal with it until many years later. And that's when I started to pursue answers and the truth from mentors and schools and things of that nature. It's a really good point. I've noticed that a lot of the people that have the near-death experience is also known as the NDE don't necessarily realize it right away. And sometimes it's years later that they finally start to put the pieces together and they realize what it was. And also they don't really disclose it to their friends and family for obvious reasons. The average length of the disclosure is like 10 years. So it's not like it's the next month. Oh, so I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, no, you're not. no, I noticed that when I first started interviewing people from IANS, that yeah. nonprofit that does all the studies and logs, all the different experiences, and there's quite a few of them. So getting back to the teachers, the healers, the mediums, and the shamans, it's an interesting group. What do you suppose those three types have in common? The spirituality and the belief in the afterlife, the belief in energy and how it permeates all of our lives and the universe. There's some common denominators amongst all of them. Although spiritual, there's a certain aspect of even scientific element to it, if you will. I also studied at the University of Sedona and I'm getting my PhD in metaphysics. And metaphysical sciences takes into account science as well as spirituality. And that was a big learning experience for me as well. I think the mixture of the two is what really gave me a better understanding of the world around me. Okay. You practice what you call a scientific spiritualism. And obviously, you've studied with mediums. So spiritualism, I believe, has its origins in the, the mediumistic movement, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the title of the first book is Atheist in the Afterlife because I was an atheist, essentially. I had a lot of trauma in my youth, didn't have a very pleasant you know, childhood, to say the least. And I used to kind of isolate myself for many hours at a time. And it was the equivalent of meditating for, say, five, six hours a day, seven days a week. And when you do that, you start to be able to see, feel, energy. You're not just staring at a wall anymore, but you can actually see what the wall's made up of. And as I got older, 
the things that I had witnessed and seen and been subject to, I just couldn't believe that there was a higher power. And also I wanted to rebel against my parents probably to some degree, right? Because they were Christian and I didn't want to be Christian. And then at the age of 20, there was a fire in my home and my room is located above the kitchen where the fire was. The stove was leaking gas for several hours. And that's really what did me in was the gas as I'm sleeping in the room. And my mother must have went down to turn on the stove to cook something in the morning. And she turns on the stove and it went poof and the, the wall caught on fire. But the way I understand it was is that they put it out pretty quickly. But they call 911 and, you know, the fire trucks arrive and the police arrive and I'm hearing this commotion. And so it wakes me up. But when I try to get out of bed, I find that I can't. I can't move certain parts of my body at all. My legs were just paralyzed. My my jaw, my face, so I couldn't yell. My whole left side felt like it was paralyzed. My arms were kind of like the only thing that I can say worked. And so what I tried to do was pull myself to the edge of the bed as quickly as I could, but I would keep passing out en route to the edge of the bed. And I knew in that moment, I mean, I was going to die if I did not get out of that bed. So I pulled with all my might the last time and I got to the edge and I fell face first. I felt no pain, nothing. And at that moment, I was no longer in that lifeless body. I was dead. Physically, I was dead, but I was still in the room on the ceiling looking down and I'm looking at my lifeless body. And then to the right of me is this huge, beautiful white cone-shaped spotlight on me, which the feeling that this gives you, the euphoria that comes from this light, you're one with that light. I wish there were more adjectives that I could think of to describe it, but it was euphoric. And there's a being at the end of the light. I don't know if it's male, female. There really was no physical body to the being. And they said, it's okay, right? You can come into the light, letting me know it was safe basically. You heard someone say that? Was it verbalized or not necessarily? You don't hear, right? But you you listen. And I have no idea how to explain that. It's information that goes from them to you, but it's not necessarily you're hearing it. But yeah, there was definitely somebody there or something there. And I, later I'll find out what that is. But at this point, I don't know yet. So I begin to go in further and further and the euphoria increases and it's fantastic. It's just absolutely amazing. At this moment, my father runs into the room and he scoops up my lifeless body and he's distraught. And he and I did not have a good relationship to say the least. But in that moment, what I was watching was his feelings for me. It was probably one of the few times he ever hugged me and it was when I was dead. So I wanted to go back there and experience that because I wanted that relationship so bad. Even though this light was everything, I asked the being if I could go back. And I said something like, I can't leave him like that. Meaning he was screaming for the paramedics and crying. When I came to shortly thereafter, I was in the living room now. I was no longer in the bedroom and the paramedics are working on me with their tools and gadgets and whatever they're doing. The one guy saying to the other, we got to get the truck. We got to get this guy in immediately. I said, guys, I'm fine. I feel fantastic. In fact, I feel better than fantastic. And I was like, anybody see the light? Did you hear the voice? That was, that was crazy, right? 
And now they're looking at me like I'm crazy. So I shut this down very, very quickly because just like the energy I saw as a child, when I brought that up, that did not go over. So I know when to shut up. So I did. They took me to the hospital and I don't remember exactly if it was the same night, but when that euphoria wears off, it's almost like Novocaine, right? You feel fantastic, but then it does wear off and it's like a bomb goes off inside of your body. The pain is unbelievable. So you go from being complete energy, no body, no feeling, no nothing to every little ache and pain that you've ever had is now magnified by 10. I had hoped that I was going to have this newfound relationship with my dad, but that unfortunately never did happen. And then I just wished I had gone into the light. I was very disappointed with myself. I wanted a do-over. I just didn't want to live. I wanted to go back to the light. But I had to rationalize this because I did try to mention it and it was immediately shot down with that didn't happen. My mother was in complete denial. She's like, you're out of your mind. And I kind of understand that too, because if I lost my kid on my watch, I'd probably be in denial myself and it had to be very traumatic for her as well. It wasn't until the release of the book that she actually acknowledged it. It took that long. Yeah. Yeah. She was 82 and we bonded in that moment. I mention it like once or twice with family, doesn't go over. I mention it with friends. They tell me I'm insane. Okay. Let me just put this in the pile with the other energy stuff that I've seen in the past and let me box this up and put it away. So I have to think of what happened rationally. And this is how I do it. I figure I fell out of bed on what was a sunny day. And the sun that was coming through the window was the white light. I had been inhaling gas fumes for many hours. Nobody really knows how long. And that caused my hallucinations to think that I was up on the ceiling. That's how I put it away. That's how you boxed it up. Right. But it doesn't explain how you actually talked with some type of a being that said, it's okay. And what I've noticed, because I ask almost everyone about these types of experiences, how do you know it's not your imagination? And the answer is almost always, there's no way I could have imagined that. Everything was real, the details, the feeling, and so on. So the next step, I would imagine, is when you sought out the mediums and the shamans. No, no, not right away. Because here's what happens after I'm 20, right? So I get to maybe a year or two later and I get my first bachelor pad, right? I'm moving out of the house. Now, what happens is I have a relationship with energy and I've crossed over and I've come back and I'm really trying to hold on to these atheistic beliefs because it's simpler that way. It's just simpler. I don't have to think. And I don't care if I die right? Because somewhere in the back of my mind, I kind of know this is legit, but I'm not bringing it to the forefront. So I get my own place and I'm like, this is going to be great. We're going to have parties and chicks and this and that and blah, blah, blah. None of that ever happens. Okay. Because as soon as I walk into that apartment, it felt like it was filled with people. And sure enough, it was filled with energies and you could see them. I could see them going across the black lines, across the white paint, And I could see them out of the corner of my eye, the swivels, and you could feel the differences in the energy. I was very, very adapt to this. Essentially, I crossed over. They came back with me and they're like, this guy can see us and hear us. We're not leaving him, but I'm pushing this away. And I'm literally saying, I don't believe in you. Get out of my house. I do not believe in you. This sounds a lot like what NDE experiencers talk about after the fact. It's an elevated 
sensibility, seeing energy, seeing spirits or whatever. Does that sound like what happened to you? Yes, very much so. It's exactly right. I'm now trying to convince myself that this is not real, but it's really pushing itself upon me. And you know, they can play with electricity, obviously. So the phone dies and I have a landline just gets cut off. You're changing the channel and the TV goes off. I must have had the maintenance guy check my apartment 50 times. And he's like, listen, kid, you're nuts. There's nothing wrong with your place. Don't call me anymore. So I'm petrified. I can't sleep. So I start doing alcohol, drugs, and I mean in massive quantities to go to sleep. It was beyond anything. I'm surprised I'm alive. And I move out because I'm frightened. And I go into a new place thinking this is not going to be haunted, right? Same thing. Same exact thing. New place. The houses aren't haunted. Ray's haunted. Now I have to come to terms with this. What am I going to do from here? More drugs, more alcohol. That's exactly what I did from there. I was not ready to accept it and I didn't know what to do with it. Who can I trust? Who's going to not think I'm completely insane? And now I get married and I have two children of my own. And now I have a reason to live. I go back to college. I get a real job. I'm working in New York. I work my way up the corporate ladder. Uh, I come back to New Jersey. I work for a larger firm. I work my way up the ladder. Unfortunately, my marriage had fallen apart very, very quickly. I think it was like three years in and the marriage was over, but the kids were still with me. So I knew that I had to figure out a way that we could all get along. And I managed to do that somehow. I guess it was more or less like, you guys don't drive me crazy. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to address you. And I guess they finally accepted that, but they were there. They're present. And during that time, when I was still very self-sabotaging, I would put myself in high-risk situations where I would have brushes with death, not an actual NDE, but I came really close, a car accident. I started working for some bad people and a shootout in a bar would be like a regular Tuesday. And we had so many other instances. I was almost beaten to death within inches of my life. And every time these things occurred, because chaos is my comfort zone, right? That's what I've had my whole life. So I think this is normal. Anyway, the being, that's my spirit guide. He is with me, getting me out of those situations. Like even in the shootout in the bar, he told me what door to go out of. And I said, you're crazy. I can't go out that door. They'll see me. I was hiding. I was hiding under the bar. And he, no, side door, side door, side door, side door. That's what I kept hearing. So I went out the side door and I had to go down another corridor, out another door. My car was right there outside the door. Don't you know, I've never parked it there. My regular parking spot was on the other side of the building. But for some reason that day, I parked it on that side. When did your spirit guide start showing up? And was this like towards the beginning or... I think it was the being in the NDE. I think that they're one and the same. And I actually came to that realization very recently because I'm starting to revisit this more and more. And it's dawning upon me that it's, it always felt that same vibration. It was always that same feeling that I always got from him. I'm calling him a him, but I don't know for a fact. Now, fast forward. Okay. I get a divorce. I'm in my 30s, approaching 40s. Everything's kind of at rest, so to speak. But I still don't sleep well. I'm not using drugs and alcohol. I've never had a drink since. And the kids are growing up. And I decide that I'm going to start dating again. Now I'm in my 40s. And I'm nervous about dating. 
I went online and I was looking for a site to join. And they give you a couple of examples of women that you might like to get you to join the site. Well, the example I saw, as soon as I saw her, I said, oh my God, that's her. That's my wife. That is her. And I joined that site immediately. And I only sent one email and it was to her. And I told her that. I said, this is the only email I'm sending because you're my future wife. You just don't know that yet. I said it in a funnier way. And luckily she found it funny. So she got back to me and we are married still to this day. But here's what happens when I meet her. No longer are the beings at bay. I've never seen them in human form. I've never seen anything like that yet. The first time I see it is after I meet her. A man comes to me and he's almost like front and center, like right here in my third eye. Okay. It's not with my eyes, not my ears. It's in here. And like a movie screen kind of opens up and he's talking to me. And this, there's this man talking to me and he says the same thing over and over. He says, I effed up. I made a mistake. You can help her. I cannot. I have no idea who the man is. I have no idea what that means. And I just take it in and I don't know what to do with it. I don't even know what I just saw. Now this begins on a Friday and he persists every hour on the hour to say the same thing. And then the next day it happened twice as much, maybe every half hour, right? By the third day, by Sunday, it seemed like it was every five minutes and I could no longer function. I couldn't drive. I couldn't think. I couldn't hold a thought. And I remember that I was in a store and I was trying to pay for my merchandise, which was on the counter. And I don't know what I did. I must have just froze or whatever I did. And the lady behind the counter goes, sir, are you okay? And I said, no, no, I'm not. And I went back out to my car and I said, this is it. I'm insane. I need help. I got to put myself someplace. I got to do something with this. I, I can't live like this anymore. I start to figure out, is my will done? Yes, it is. Check. My brother has my DNR because I'm not coming back. I'm going to the light. I made sure my affairs were in order. And then I have to tell this woman whom I just, I love that, sorry, I'm crazy. And you know, this has to end quickly. The irony in this is just too much. She is by trade a doctor of psychology and neuropsychology. Go figure, right? Can't make this stuff up. I figure, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to lose her anyway. I may as well get the help I need because she can probably point me in the right direction. She's going to give me a name and a number, call this person and never call me again. That's not the reaction I get at all. I proceed to tell her what I see and how I see it. And she says, sounds like my dad. He died about 10 years ago. And I was like, what do you mean your dad? She goes, well, I've been to mediums. I've been to a lot of mediums and he comes through. He's very powerful. Just like you said, front and center. And I said, but this doesn't look like your dad at all. I saw that picture and in the, the, the picture, he was clean shaven. This guy's a husky guy and he's got a beard and a mustache and thick black hair. Nothing like that picture. And she goes, whoa, whoa, whoa time out. She goes, that's a 25 year old picture. Let me show you what he looked like on a day to day. She goes through her phone. She says, here you go. I said, oh my God, you know that man? She said, that's my dad, silly. This is great. He's talking to you. I said, this is not great. <laughs> This is not great at this all. This is not great at all. No, this is not great. This is a pretty <laughs> incredible story. So let's jump to, because you've got all the intuitive empath experiences. Now, you practice what you call a scientific spiritualism. When does that come into play in your life and your practice? The first thing that happens is I need to find out, am I a medium, right? So 
she brings me to a medium and she says, why don't you guys talk, compare notes, and you'll be able to figure out if you're doing this right, whatever it is. And and I had so many questions. I didn't even know what a medium was. So we sat together and I told her what I feel and how I feel it, how it happens. And she said, relax. That's exactly how I see it. And we went through each type of premonition that I get. And she's like, relax. That's how I see it. I was like, okay. So she became my first mentor, but there's still the skeptic part of me. Now that part is still researching the NDE. I'm reading books voraciously on everything from Bertolle to Joe Dispenza to Deepak Chopra. But at the same time, I'm studying Einstein, Tesla, Niels Bohr, you name it, all the rock star physicists from the past, because I've got to find a connection so that I can digest this as real. I have to figure out how this works to convince myself I'm not crazy. Because for years and years and years, everyone had me believing I was crazy or I had myself believing it, right? Because anytime I mentioned it, I was crazy. So I needed that combination. And a year later, I get my next mentor, which how that happens is a crazy story in and of itself. It's my birthday. It's one year after I get the first mentor and we always do something for my birthday and we go away. And this year we went away and we we're at this cabin in the middle of nowhere because that's where I wanted to go. And so we're there and I'm practicing my meditation and things. And she takes out a picture that's hand drawn of her dad. And I said, wow, where'd you get that? And she says, well, one of the mediums drew it. He's a spirit artist. And I was like, that is exactly the way I see him. That same shirt is the way I saw him and I continue to see him. And she says, well, this is so-and-so medium Joe in the book. And I say, well, I got to find this guy. How do I find him? So we looked him up on the internet and right on his front page, it says, now taking applications for a two-year mentorship program with Medium Joe. You have to submit your application by February 15th to be considered. And my birthday is February 15th. She's like, are you going to submit your application? I said, are you kidding? If that's not universal intervention, I don't know what is. So it's a long process to be accepted because I had to prove beyond any shadow of a doubt that I was the real deal. And it's application after application and interviews and everything. I was the 11th of 11. That's it. 11 people were in this program out of hundreds. So I went from not being real, but being put into a class of other people who are highly experienced. And I'm like, whoa, this is unbelievable. And he really guided me for not only the next two years, I'm still with him. And it's like five years later and I'm never leaving him. I saw him this morning and he taught me so much about not just spiritualism. He taught me uh, so many different things, law of attraction, vibration, everything. And now I always have to see what's under the hood. So here's where the science comes in. As he's teaching me these concepts, I'm trying to figure out how they work because I need to know this. And I remember when he gave me the meditation for manifestation using the laws of vibration and the laws of attraction, I was like, I'm not going to do this. This sounds crazy. I had a situation where my kid was going to college and he was going away to school and the school called me and they said, Ray, you have to deposit another $10,000. Oh my God. You know, I miscalculated by 10,000. I got like a couple of days to come up with this money. Where am I going to get this from? I don't have it. So I'm like, okay, let's see if this works. 
and I do everything I'm supposed to do exactly the way he says to do it. He says to do it twice a day and I don't do it two times a day. I do it six times a day because this is my son and he's got to go to school. And so at the end of the first day, nothing. It was around five o'clock and my other son brought me the mail and I just threw it down and I noticed there was a big envelope and I took the envelope. I looked at it and it was from my accountant. I had just done my taxes. I need 10,000. I can't pay my tax bill right now. I threw it to the side. I was upset. Next day, six more times, I do it again all day. I'm on my knees. Send me 10,000. I need 10,000. So on the end of the second day, nothing happens again. I decide to open the mail and I take out the first letter and the first letter says, dear Ray, thank you for your business. You owe me X amount of dollars for filing your taxes. Okay, great. Put that one aside. I take out the next letter and it says, dear Ray, you have overpaid the government by 8,200 and something, something dollars. And I read it like three times overpaid and I'm stunned. I put it down. I take out the next letter. And this one says, you've overpaid the state of New Jersey, 1,800 and something, something dollars. And that's a little over 10,000 exactly. And I fell to my knees and wept like a child and became a believer to say the least. It was my quest to figure out, well, how did I do that so that I could tell other people what makes that work? And this is where I start learning Tesla's The Secrets of the Universe. He tells us energy, frequency, vibration couldn't be truer. Because what we're doing is we're sending out a signal and it's on a frequency and I need 10,000 and I'm putting that out and it's like attracts like, it doesn't matter if it's a tangible item or a non-tangible item, it's going to find the item and it's going to bring it to you. It has to be done in a certain way. And in the second book, I go into not only how to do it, but I also explain how this works. And it's very similar to a cell phone. If I pick up my phone and I dial your number, my frequency goes to your frequency, they match, and we can communicate. Very simple. That's exactly the same functionality behind the law of attraction. A satellite dish and a radio, the same thing. You tune it in, the old-fashioned radios. If you're a little off, guess what? You don't get to hear the music. You got to be right on point. This is why a lot of people don't get what they're looking for, because you got to be right on point. It's a little more difficult than most people think, but it's doable and it's real. And now I'm learning and I'm like, I need more of this. What makes this work? What makes that work? What makes this work? And now the second book is all about how things work. So you get my story of how I used it, how I replicated it. You also get the backstory of what's under the hood. How does this actually happen? That was the concept of the second book. And that second book is titled? You're Still Alive, Now Act Like It. Okay. And the first book was The Atheist and the Afterlife. So it seems to be pretty easy to deduce from that title that your experience with the NDE obviously changed your view of spirituality. So for the atheists among us, for anybody who might be listening, what's the biggest takeaway from this entire experience? You know, the NDE was the catalyst for me to become a believer. Now, I know you can't self-induce and you should never try to self-induce an NDE. However, you can look at the studies. And like you mentioned, IONS, which is a fantastic organization, you can't speak to a thousand plus people and we all say the same thing. We're always in the corner of the room. There's always the light. There's just too many commonalities. That's not a physical thing like 
the medical textbooks are telling us. It's not. And that feeling, like you said, that euphoria, you can't make that up. So there's just too many commonalities. Follow the dots, follow the line. It will lead you to a place where if you don't become a believer right away, you'll at least be curious enough to go a little deeper and a little bit further like I was. Okay. Anything else we should know about the topic? If you are experiencing things, find a mentor. Because remember, I thought I was crazy. And it wasn't until I actually found somebody that could put their arm around me and say, hey, I've been there. My parents thought I was crazy too. Here's my story. Let me help you. And finding somebody reputable. I got very lucky. I had a couple of great mentors, but seek the help that you need. Don't make the assumption like I did that your life is over when it might just be the very beginning. It might be the beginning. And you make a very, very good point about getting a mentor. For those of you who have had similar experiences, IANS, and I will leave a link in the show notes as well as a really, really good resource. Yeah, they're fantastic. All right. Ray, thanks for joining us today. How can our listeners find you online? RayCatania.com is my website. You can find information about the books or coaching or anything you wish there. If you want to connect with me, you can just submit the contact form. I will put that link in the show notes and the transcript as well. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. You can also find more information on ClosertoVenus.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.